when you're looking at that space, you will never see those things. Yeah. And it is, and it is the, the, the impossibility of seeing those things that makes those things happen. Thanks, Heisenberg. Yeah, Yeah, Heisenberg. Welcome to What the If. Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker here, along with my Cohort, collaborator, partner, co-pilot, Professor Matt Stanley. Howdy. How are things in Washington Square? Uh, cold and noisy. Oh, noisy. <laughs> yeah, had it. The construction will never end. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that'd be a great title. That's not a good band name, really, but I think uh, for an album, that'd be good. Cold and noisy. Cold Noise would be fine. Yeah. Perpetual yeah. Construction would be a good band name. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes, yes. Today's If. Comes to us from Super Ifer, Super Duper Duper Ifer, Bill Prokopchuk. Bill has sent in, Bill is incredible. Bill is like a font of ifs and uh, there's the fountain of youth bill is the fountain of if one of his amazing ideas we're taking up today what the if there was a place in the universe where there actually was nothing and i must emphasize nothing is in all caps and bold Oh, well, if it's also in bold, that changes things up completely. Yes. (laughs) What if there was a place in the universe where there actually was nothing? Now, my first question is, well, isn't, I mean, space is a lot of nothingness, is it not? Oh, well, that's, uh, that is sort of implied in the name, right? When we, when we say space, we mean nothing there. And that was, uh, we can probably credit Newton with sort of the definitive argument for why it must be spacious, that is not stuff. And that's, uh, he said, look, if there was stuff out there, the planets would be plowing through it and they would slow down and we would see that slowing and eventually we would all crash into the sun and die horribly. And he says that doesn't happen, so, or at least it doesn't happen very fast, so there must not be very much stuff out there. Right. And really, that was a uh, extensive dig at Rene Descartes. Oh, so De- Descartes argued that the universe was full. So wow. de- technically called a plenum. Should you ever want to break out that word at a cocktail party? Um, so Descartes thought things instead of uh, planets going around via inertia and gravity, rather they were carried around by these whirlpools of particles. So. In in Descartes' universe, uh, you're, it's this continuous soup of stuff that's all in motion. Interesting. So he was saying it was particles are are actually what we're pushing, for instance, the planets around. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of carried around in these vortexes. Oh, like a river or something. Yeah, 
uh, like Whirlpool anyway. Yeah. Um, it was all these these series of, of vortexes, and those vortexes also carried things downward, like a like a whirlpool. So that was why thing why gravity worked, for instance. But Newton did a whole bunch of experiments and said, "Look, you're always going to get some drag. So Rene, you're a jerk. Give it up. <laughs> Space is spacious." It it seemed to me now in all the stories I hear about Newton that pretty much everything comes with a dig. As you said. Yeah, I think that's totally a fair assessment. <laughs> what, uh, yeah, we, we look back on, you know, like when he says, uh, if I've seen further than others, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. And we're like, oh, what a, what a wonderful tribute to those who came before and how reverent. But really, he was just being a jerk to uh, Robert Hooke, who was really short. Is that right? <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. That just see that factoid right there was worth the price of admission to today, <laughs> which was free, of course. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's that's brilliant. Wow. Okay, so nothing. So uh, again, m- most people these days, if you don't, if they haven't studied uh, particle physics, let's say, or what, physics, that uh, they we think of space as empty, okay. and. And yet, we also hear, here's what can be a little bit confusing, and I have always found this a little bit confusing. We know that, for instance, the NASA satellites, let's say, that go out there, they are measuring things in space. They have all these detectors, and we talk about this and this and this and this. What, what are we, what's going on in space? How, how empty is it? There's the okay. It's it's a scale, I think, is probably the, the first thing to think about. That is, uh, nothingness is not really a binary thing. It's not there's stuff or there's not, um, but there's more or less stuff. And then there's different kinds of stuff, too. So generally, when we say nothing or vacuum, we mean there isn't much matter. And so that's matter in the, matter in the sense of like, cookies and badgers, right, and stuff, stuff you can poke with a stick. So that's stuff that's made of atoms. By the way, don't, uh, don't poke badgers with sticks. Uh, no, unless you give them a cookie. Okay, yeah, the cookie yeah. and the stick. Yes, <laughs> so one in each hand, over <laughs> things. Yeah, so let's say you've got a room full of badgers, right, and you want it to be empty, you scare the badgers out or lure them out with cookies. Yes. And eventually you say, okay, there's no more badgers in the room. There's no more cookies. It's empty. But there's, if you're saying that, there's probably air. You say, all right, well, I got to get the air out. And air is made of the same stuff as badgers and cookies. It's just kind of thinner. So you build a big fan and that blows those individual molecules of air out as well but it turns out that's it becomes increasingly difficult to get that last molecule out as you get less and less at some point you usually just declare victory and you say that's close enough to nothing for what i'm interested in you can't get it out because is it like when you have that like there's that one stray fleck of coffee bean floating on the top of your coffee. (laughs) And you try to get it out, and the damn thing keeps 
swimming away. Yep. And eventually you just go after, you're like, all right, I don't care about that last one. Exactly. So it's really, really just a matter of difficulty, you're saying. Yep. It's it's hard to get the last one. That's right. If you're patient enough, you can just keep running your vacuum pump uh, and your vacuum will get better and better and better. That is, you'll have less and less stuff. Uh, But you might have to run it for 10,000 years to get to the, the nothingness you're hoping for. So, so generally for, you know, you want your nothingness for a particular purpose. And depending on that purpose, you're probably okay with a few molecules left behind. Mm, okay. Right. So it totally depends on what or why you care about there being nothing for how much you want to pump down your, your room. Right. Now, interesting, fun fact, when I was at NASA just uh, last week, we got to visit, for instance, uh, one of the clean room areas. And within the clean room areas, there were then other sort of cubes uh, with plastic around them of even more clean area. (laughs) So we would be in a room, we're walking around in a room, and uh, the kind of room where when you walked in, we didn't have to put on booties or something, it wasn't quite that clean. But as you walked in, there was like a sticky doormat that you stepped on and it cleaned off the bottom of your feet, Mm -hmm. right? Then you went in, and I, I'm just remembering that the, the numbers that the, our guide used, who was an engineer who worked there, said, so the room we're in now is about, I think he would have said, this is a 10K clean room or something. Okay. I guess meant one, what, 10,000 particles per something? I'm not familiar with that particular designation, so I'm not sure, but there's, um, there's a bunch of ways. Yeah, you can do kind of particles per cubic meter. You can do fraction of an atmosphere. So right now you're sitting in one atmosphere of pressure. So then you you say, well, I'm in one micro atmosphere, and that indicates how how much less uh, air you've got in there as well. Right now, of course, in these things, what they were talking about was simply dust particles, not the air itself. Right. And yep. so, he, right. Let's let's make that even clearer. Let's just reemphasize that what you're talking about is. Get rid of all the dust. It's super clean. Now take out all the air. Yeah. Now you okay. there's certainly not enough to breathe at all. But there may be a stray like nitrogen. There's molecule, always going to be some nitrogen. stray stuff zooming around. And so, for instance, um, and so what counts as full and empty is kind of a relative thing. So the best vacuum we can make, the best nothingness we can make here on Earth is still less nothing <laughs> than nebulas, like those spectacular nebula you see out in the sky, the ring nebula, the eagle nebula. Those are better vacuums than what we can make in our laboratories here on Earth. Oh, and you're saying those are actually clearly, obviously, full of something. Exactly, right? They're, they're, they're spectacularly full of stuff, and yet they're still more nothingish than the best nothingish we can build here on Earth. And that's because, well, for one thing, we're seeing them from very far away. Exactly, right? So they're gigantic. So even if they only have one hydrogen atom per cubic meter, when you add that up over a couple of light years, that turns into an enormous amount of matter overall. Okay. So, but getting beyond the fact that it's hard to do. So what we're saying is that the base level... uh, what Bill Bill says, what the, if there was a place in the universe 
where there was actually nothing. So for some reason, everything just sort of left that area, like a dead spot. Yeah, somebody successfully pumps down that area, and that's fine. We can we can assume the Klingons have better vacuum technology than we do. Right. Or, no, yeah. the, the Dysons. The Dysons. A, Dys- <laughs> a Dyson sphere. Yes, that's right. How is it that, you know, maybe he has, and I don't know, but how is it that the Dyson vacuum company has not released the Dyson sphere? Uh, well, Freeman is a little uh, cranky sometimes, so I, I can well imagine there's a stack of requests on his desk that he's just refused to get back to. But. Right, right. <laughs> right, so it's a conflict between whatever the guy's name is who makes the Dyson vacuums mm-hmm. and Freeman Dyson. Yeah. There's a, there's a conflict so, there, I understand. Yeah. Next time I'm in Princeton, I'll ask. Yeah, um, Ooh, that'd be fantastic. But all right, so if we successfully get, so the, this nothingness, this spot of nothingness is not going to be on Earth, right? It's way out in between galaxies or something. Okay, right. Now, even if there's no stuff of the badger cookie made of atoms variety, if you can see the inside of it, there's still light in there. Oh, if you can see the inside of it. So, like you said, you know, NASA's got satellites up there that look into nothingness, but still see stuff. And what they're seeing is light photons, these masses, these massless particles that can fill space even when there's no atoms there. Can we see a photon if it doesn't bounce off something? Yeah, you see it when it hits. Well, you see it when it hits your eye. Yeah. So that means it came through that space. Yeah. So, so right now, the, the universe as a whole is full of what's called the cosmic background radiation, all right, the CMB. And that's the leftover light from the Big Bang. Okay. And that suffuses space. So what we do is we take a satellite like the Planck satellite and just point it where we're pretty sure there's no stuff. But those leftover photons from the Big Bang are still zooming around. So they hit Planck's camera, and Planck says, okay, I see it. Basically, it's, it's in general, the lowest temperature you find in space is three degrees Kelvin. Yep. Is that right? That's- and temperature means something's there vibrating. Yeah, precisely what temperature means there is, is kind of hazy, so I don't want to get into it too much. But uh, but yes, that's a good way to think about it. Is there's this extremely cold light suffusing the universe, and I have to say, actually, I always get a little bittersweet when I think about a satellite or a telescope observing the the CMB because the the photon that hits their camera has literally been traveling since the dawn of time, since the beginning of the universe. That photon's just been cruising along uninterrupted totally happy, and then all of a sudden whacks into this piece of silicon rotating around our planet. And like, that's it. Like a bug, like a bug zapper. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> wow. So one of the things we have to do to get our nothingness spot is isolate that spot also from light and from the cosmic microwave background. So nothing... In order for there to be nothingness, this also has to be a place that for some reason, nothing is going through at this. Right. So we got to get rid of all the photons and all the light and microwaves and radio waves that might be in it, too. And, and I'm, we're, I'm, I'm just sort of 
avoiding, sidestepping the black hole question. Uh, yes, we should have avoid the black hole question. Yeah. If anything, we can say, well, the black hole is full of stuff. Because it's, right. I, I would actually say a black hole is the opposite of nothingness in the sense that it is it is as much stuff in one place as you can get. But so so to clarify, what we're talking about here is that it's not that light is coming through this empty space named, let's call it Bill. Is it we're naming the space Bill? Okay. After Bill. There's an empty space in the universe. And it's not that light is coming into this space and disappearing. Is it nothing is coming, nothing is coming at this? No, we got to keep it out. Yeah. Empty. And so what's left now? Nothing's coming in. So now, so that's kind of what we mean or what we think of in our head when we say nothing. And, you know, it took us some work to get here, but we're pretty sure there's nothing now. By which we mean no matter, no photons, no energy. Uh, so we've got this long list, essentially the list of everything we know exists in the universe. And we say it's not that, and it's not that, and it's not that, and it's not that. And even though we don't know what dark matter is and dark energy is, we're saying it's not that, it doesn't have any of that either. Yeah, that's right. That's an important point, um, is that even though we don't know what those are, we also have to exclude those. Um, now, dark energy might slip in the back door. We can talk about that in a minute, but definitely no dark matter. That's totally unacceptable. We don't serve your kind in here. <laughs> so, all right. So we got this. We've got Bill, uh, this spot of nothingness. And you might be totally content just saying, all right, nothing there. We'll just leave it be. Nothing interesting should happen here forever. But physicists claim that if you look closely enough, you'll see that there is still stuff happening, even though there's nothing there. And the argument goes like this. All right. So there's this thing called the, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Okay. And it comes in several different flavors. I'm, I'm, I'm partial to mint chocolate chip myself. Yes. Um, but basically, it forbids you from knowing the total, knowing all of the information you might want to about a given setup or situation or place. Um, and like I said, there's, there's a couple different versions. Like what the most common version is, you can't know exactly where something is and where it's going at the same time. You have to do this kind of trade-off. So what we're saying is, at, at, at the very least, looking at this space, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle would say, you can't, you, you, did you say mathematically or log what, what is it logically that you cannot know whether this space is empty or not? Well, the, exactly right. So this is in this. So there's this very. So the the uncertainty principle is a matter of trade offs, right? So if you want to know where something is, you can't know where it's going. If you want to know where it's going, you can't know where it is. So it comes in these these pairs, and one of the pairs is amount of energy and time. If you want to know exactly how much energy is in a spot, you have to watch it for a very long period of time. Or if you only watch it for a very short period of time, you've got great uncertainty in how much energy is there. So if you're looking at this empty spot called Bill, then... Um, so now if you, so if, you, if you sit there and you watch it for 100 years... Right. Okay. You can be very sure there's no energy there. 
Okay, the uncertainty principle doesn't mess with you. However, if you look very carefully, you take like a pigeon eye glance at it, <laughs> then, then you're very uncertain about how much energy is there. You expect there to be zero, but the uncertainty principle says you can't be sure if it's zero or zero plus X or zero minus X. There's an inherent uncertainty in your observation. Okay, so that's... Basically, it comes down to, though, that you you just... It, it, this says that you cannot know, no matter what, it's impossible to know whether this space is empty or not. Right, and here's where it gets weird. Actually, this kind of takes us back to Descartes. In, in, in quantum physics, everything that is not forbidden is mandatory. <laughs> We call <laughs> philosophers call this the principle of plenitude. That is, anything that can happen will happen. Ah, okay. So plenitude goes back to Descartes' plenum, or its full fullness of things. So, since you can't be sure whether or not there is a particle in these certain spaces, there is a particle in that space because it's possible that there is one there that you can't see. Whoa. And it, this is mathematically... Yeah, this is mathematically a thing. Meaning that it's not just a made-up idea. It's, it's not just a... Yeah, that's, this, is, this, is a, a, this is not something I just made up, yeah. So, but remember the Heisenberg uncertainty principle brings things in pairs. So the uncertainty in energy, that is, I'm not sure if there's a particle there or not, is only a function of the amount of time you spend looking at it. If you look at it, so there's a, an amount of time of observation, you know, a, a blink of an eye in which the particle might or might not be there. All right. So what this means is, in quantum terms, it is permissible for a particle to appear from nothingness as long as it happens so fast that you can't see it. <laughs> okay so they're saying this is actually happening yeah that there are particles coming in and out of existence exactly so we call these virtual particles so these these particles pop literally from nothingness into existence and then back into nothingness and you might say that's absurd that's, that's totally unacceptable. If nothing else, it violates the conservation of energy. But Heisenberg says, eh, that's only true if you can see the particle. So as long as it pops in and out so quick that you can't measure it, then it doesn't really violate any laws. Now, I'm going to take one, one big leap forward. Mm -hmm. Bill asks, what if there was a place where there is actually nothing? Yeah. So let's say there is a place where there is actually nothing. And in what the if we're allowed to tweak one thing. And that so what we're doing here is we're saying actually let's it's it is possible to have nothing. Now what is the ramifications of that? Well, so are you thinking we're going to get rid of virtual particles? We would have to, right? Oh boy. Yeah. So what does what happens now? Wow. All right. Well, one of the weird things that happens with virtual particles is that even though you can't see them or measure them directly, 
you can measure their indirect effects. Ah. So the, these particles popping in and out of existence can push on real particles ever so briefly. Wow. And you can actually observe the effect the virtual particles have on real particles. So even though you can't see them, you can see their effects. All right. And it's this kind, it's this kind of pushing nudging that you get. You know, this, this one proton is just zooming along doing its own thing. And all of a sudden, an electron appears bumps into it and then disappears again. Um, like that guy on the subway who's coming through collecting change before he goes on to the next car. But he's doing it incredibly fast. Incredibly fast, that's right. <laughs> so, so you look up from your phone and you're like, ah, did somebody just bump into me? Say, so, right, I guess not. And you look back to your phone and then somebody else bumps into you. And each time you look up, they're already gone by the time you check for them, but you keep getting nudged. That's what it's like to live around virtual particles. So you could, you, in other words, we could watch a photon traveling through space and all of a sudden it changes direction a little bit. Yeah. And it may have been not because it hit something known, but it hit a, like a virtual particle popped in and out of existence and gave it a little nudge. Yeah, that's right. And that's happening right around us right now. Exactly. You, you are in a sea of virtual particles right now. Con- like incredibly dense well, this is this, this gets kind of tricky. To, to our, our words begin to fail us here. Ah, uh, yes. The net energy of virtual particles is zero. Okay. That has to be the case. But at any given moment, there is a virtual particle poking at you. Many of them, <laughs> probably. Right? But when you set up your equipment to measure the the individual bumps, you can't see them. So there's this sense in which it's not dense at all. There's no energy or matter. But nonetheless, you're still getting jostled by those things. And, and of course, there's the bigger, deeper question of where are they coming from? Yep, that's right. And then where do they go? And where do they go? Yeah. And the answer is, is nothingness. That is, they, they were never really here. They were only here to fulfill Heisenberg's manic demand that all possible things happen. Which comes out of a mathematical... Right. Just to say, yep. it's not, not a made-up thing. It's not a made-up thing. It's, it's, a, it's a real thing in the lab you can, uh, you can demonstrate. And so, so then the question becomes, if, right, so if we want to get rid of... So we get annoyed at these... Well, suddenly, you know, everybody learns that there are these virtual particles. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, there ought to be a law or something. We, we, we need to get rid of these virtual particles. Okay. Yeah. So the, the, sorry, the city ordinance, yeah. no virtual particles <laughs> That's right. in the five boroughs. <laughs> um, this would be fine. Yeah. Uh, so this actually has an important, w- would have an important effect. These virtual particles popping in and out of existence um, are constantly poking at you and they create pressure from that poking. So in the same way that like air molecules right now are banging into you from all sides. So that's air pressure. But because the air pressure is more or less equal on all sides of you, you don't really notice it's there. But if I suddenly drop the air pressure on one side of you, you'd get blown across the room. Right. I think that's what happens with cats at like three in the morning when they suddenly <laughs> zoom across the room. It's a sudden drop in air pressure. But the zoomies. Yeah. Neither here nor there. So, or, or by the way, that's what wind, you know, when we feel wind, right? It's because. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, it's a pressure asymmetry. Right. Yeah. So virtual particles are kind of like that. In that, as long as you're surrounded evenly 
by those virtual particles, it's not a big deal. Um, but if suddenly you didn't have virtual particles popping to existence on one side of you, you'd have this tremendous pressure from one side. Tremendous in what? Well, so this is, uh, that's right, it's tremendous in, um, tremendous on quantum scales. So you would probably not feel it. Um, Although we've already decided in some ways, what, in some ways, we, the, the what the if is transformed to what the if you could feel virtual particles. Yeah, I suppose that's right. It's an, an implied what the if. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it turns out this is actually something uh, physicists have thought about doing. Oh. And one of the things you do is uh, you take two giant plates. It scales by area, so you want the plates to be as big as possible. And you put them very close together. And by very close together, I mean like less than the width of an atom. Whoa! And what happens then is you end up with more virtual particles on the outside of those plates than you get in between. So the virtual, so then you get actually what we were just describing, uh, which is you get a pressure on the outside from just from the virtual particles. And this is called the Casimir effect. Wow. That's amazing. So again, just to show that this is a real thing, you can yeah. see it in a lab, these two plates will come together. And the only explanation is these virtual particles. Is yeah. these virtual particles. And so it is, it, is, it is speculated that this might be a nice source of free energy. Because <laughs> it goes like this. There are these things called uh, piezoelectric crystals that when you push on them, they produce electricity. So, so like those are the things that are in your sneakers when they glow. If you got those those light up sneakers, there's piezoelectric crystals in there. So you stick a piezoelectric crystal in between um, two of these plates, and you let the Casimir effect go, and then the virtual particles create a pressure, which then creates electricity, and you say, "Bango, free energy as much as you want." So you're sort of sucking energy right out of space. Uh oh. Okay. Yeah, so exactly what the consequences of that are are unclear. But if you're writing a sci-fi novel and you need some free energy, <laughs> go for it. The the downside is like your your plates have to be hundreds of miles square to produce a nanovolt. Right. Oh. So the, the amount of energy you get out is very, very small. Um, but nonetheless, even in in principle at least. But if you got to a situation where you're like, if we just had one more nanovolt. <laughs> we then you could reverse the polarity and invert the beam that's trapped to the enterprise yeah yeah exactly scotty scotty would be on this okay yeah so and then there's likely to be cosmological consequences of this empty spot too because one of the best explanations for dark energy this force that's pushing apart the galaxies is virtual particles vacuum energy Right. Is exactly this this kind of virtual pressure is the best is one of the best candidates for what dark energy might be, but that would mean they're not balancing out. Yeah, that's right. So this well, this is um, the mathematics gets a little weird here. Right. But yes, it does. It, certainly, if we're going to make a spot where there's no more virtual particles or vacuum energy, right. there's going to be um, problems. Yeah. So so this is. Um, and maybe we're in that situation because one of the, the problems with dark energy is that the observed magnitude of its effect is way different 
than what the theoretical explanation of virtual particles uh, say it should be. Um, And the mismatch is like a factor of 10 billion. It's (laughs) enormous. So there's this weird situation where uh, we've got a weird phenomena that we're observing, and we've got a weird explanation that might explain it for us, but they're hilariously mismatched. So a big project of theoretical cosmology is trying to figure out if there's some way to reconcile that and explain dark energy as uh, virtual pressure. And so that, that, you know, what that means is that they're saying, look at these things which we th- we're calling virtual particles, these little ephemeral things, tiny, 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 you, you can't even detect, you can't sense it, you can't see them. That's, that's what makes them, in other words, for them to exist, you have to not be able to see them. Yes, that's right. <laughs> directly, anyway. But yet here we're looking at something which would mean that they still, the total effect of them in the universe is making the universe expand? Is that what dark energy that is? is the, the, that is the hoped-for explanation, yes. So the universe is expanding because of these particles which you must not see. <laughs> yep. what if (laughs) so So that's right so the the layers of absurdity absurdity here um, are really quite remarkable but if and I should say that's that's a hypothetical explanation it's hoped that we can explain dark energy in those terms because then you don't have to invent a whole new thing but it's not going well I guess Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I haven't quite figured this out yet but if so uh, and the um Virtual particles, you need to take into account both on cosmological scales, right, for dark energy, but also when you're building, say, um, an integrated circuit that is a computer chip. Oh. Virtual particles are, are critical for understanding how electrons jump back and forth in a semiconductor. What's amazing is that this, this nothingness problem, you can see from the tiniest scales all the way to the largest ones. Wait, so you're saying uh, the designers of computer chips are taking into account virtual particles yep. affecting the electrons in that chip. Yeah. They're depending on them, actually. That's right. In other words, I guess they know that, oh, this is the... Yeah, the, the, so, you know, when you sit down and you design a computer chip, you have to take that into account. And it means basically, like, over a certain amount of time this is the amount of effect you would get from a vir- virtual the virtual particles uh yes that's right yeah wow. you need to account for the fact that your electrons are going to get nudged by virtual particles in this way yeah. and i don't know is that a good is that like considered an error or is it like no it's the same way you'd have to account for gravity if you were building an airplane oh okay it's just the way nature is put together Wow. So your but cell, so, yeah, yeah. cell so, phone. So if you make a, yeah. yeah, your cell phone relies on the notion of virtual particles yeah. as well. So if we want to make Bill our truly nothingness space where not even virtual particles exist, that place is going to, your phone won't work in that place. Whoa. <laughs> you, you can't get your free energy from no the sur- No cell service. 
no obviously <laughs> and your galaxy might collapse so right that's the other thing about right isn't it like this empty if you got this empty space it would pretty quickly here, here's the real difficult thing ever so slightly uh, reminiscent of a wormhole or something if you created a space of nothing and you somehow uh kept virtual particles from popping into it maintaining that would like whatever you're doing to block well here's the like, do we know it, it sounds like there's absolutely no known way to keep vertical part virtual particles from popping into existence uh that's right yeah the the best you can do is like with the casimir effect where you you kind of engineer an asymmetry but uh, uh but no you can't get rid of them Right. So this would be, so first of all, it all comes back to that, that to create this space of nothingness, if it didn't exist naturally, mm -hmm. you would have to somehow create something which breaks the known laws of physics, which blocks virtual particles from coming into existence. And this is impossible. So no matter what we do, these virtual particles, are not just outside of us, but inside of us, all over the place, things are coming in and out of existence. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and yeah, so trying to manipulate that space would essentially be manipulating the most basic rules of the universe. And in, for instance, in Star Trek, they've, they've managed this because they, uh, uh, they have Heisenberg compensators on, their, on the transporter. So they figured out how to do this. Oh, I didn't realize that that's... Was that in the next generation? It must have been. Yeah, I think it's canon for the whole Star Trek franchise now, but yes. Right, because if if you... So in other words, when you come back on the transporter, you have to come back with your virtual particles, too. Um, yes, right. <laughs> things could get messy otherwise. Yeah. Wow. Bill, Bill... I'm thinking now to Bill the human, not Bill the nothingness. You have... <laughs> you have blown my mind where there was nothing inside my mind there is now virtual insanity <laughs> that sounds right yeah. yeah bottom line being that as far as we know there can't be nothing that no matter where you look and it's not just that there's nothing there's things coming in and it's, it's active that's right it's active stuff nothingness <laughs> all at the same time and yet, when you're looking at that space, you will never see those things. Yeah, and it is, and it is the 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 impossibility of seeing those things that makes those things happen. <laughs> Thanks, Eisenberg. Yeah. yeah, Eisenberg. Wow, Matt, this is like uh, incredible. Thank you for taking us into this journey to nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Bill will now receive a something of great import, a finger puppet from the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. All our guests, all our, our listeners who submit an idea that gets used, that if you get ifed, if your if gets ifed, and I'm not talking a virtual if, I'm talking a real if that you can see and, well, you can hear it anyway. <laughs> receive a wonderful finger puppet of a great scientist or science fiction character from the, mm -hmm. our friends at the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. This is not a commercial per se. They just, they're friends of ours. They love our show. They love our audience. They love you guys. And they want you to 
share in the joy of science. At their website, philosophersguild.com, by the way, you could just want to buy your own stuff. They make smart, funny toys for smart, funny people. You've probably seen their stuff everywhere. They're fantastic. Ooh, there's emails popping in and out of existence oh. on my phone. <laughs> oh, but see, virtual, some virtual particles had to... Uh, yeah, that's right. So if you don't look at the emails, they'll vanish again. I wish. And, uh, then it'll be fine, right? <laughs> <I wish. laughs> philosophersguild.com you can get 10% off go buy your own you can actually get 10% off anything with the coupon code WTIF again that's just a lovely favor from our friends there submit your own ideas to us at feedback at whatthef.com tell us what you thought of the show Bill Bill is some actually you know some people contact us on Twitter you can follow us on Twitter at whatthefshow you can Go to our website, whattheif.com, and listen to all the previous episodes there. You can also subscribe on the website, which I encourage you to do. Then, using the magic of virtual particles, Mm -hmm. your pod catcher, your pod, whatever app you use on your phone, all the virtual particles are going to spin around and do some crazy stuff, and you're going to get an episode every week without even thinking about it. It'll just pop into existence. That's yeah. right. You can't even you can't see it arrive. It will just be there. You won't see the actual moment of it. You might. I don't know. Depending on whether you're using Mac or Android, whichever one's faster. <laughs> Not to start a fight. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. That is the place where uh, pretty much iTunes is like the one source for almost all other places. Although if you use Stitcher, or we are now on Spotify, by the way. Uh, huh? Any of these other places, uh, you can leave us a review there if that's an option. But iTunes is the one place uh, at the very least. If you can do that, that would be fantastic. Matt, thank you for thanks for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for nothing, Bill. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> Next week, we will have something. We don't know what it is. No. Although we have a very special guest who we are recording next week. I will leave oh, that as right. a tease. I'm very, ex- I'm very excited about our next guest. Uh, someone who has uh, informed and inspired us all for a great many years. Stay tuned for that. That's going to be exciting. But what will happen? Who knows? The virtual... I mean, no matter what you're planning on doing, it sounds like virtual particles may knock you out of existence anyway. No plan survives contact with the virtual particles. Uh, that is definitely true. Yeah. Yes. And when we are going along our normal path and suddenly a, bar- a particle pops in, uh, in existence, knocks us to the side, disappears again, says, wasn't me. We will suddenly look around, see nothing, and shout, What, what the, the if, 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 if.